0: back to the dad chronicle i'm your host i'm alex albisu and this is episode 56. as always you can visit the to listen to other inspiring stories of fatherhood and you can become a patron by clicking the become a patron button at the very top there every dollar will go towards the operational costs that uh, are required for a show like this like i've mentioned i don't do this for the money i do it to share inspiring stories of fatherhood to those who might need it but it goes a long way to helping me continue to make this show possible. And for today's guest, we have an old friend of mine. His name is Brandon Flanagan. If you guys live in the Virginia area, you likely had his beer. He is a brewer or formerly a brewer. I guess you're still a brewer, right, Brandon? Yeah, I still, I still brew stuff. Still. <laughs> yeah. You, you're still you're still dabbling at it, but we're going to talk about how life changed for you and what that means to you. So Brandon, you chimed in there why don't you say hi to the nice folks at home?
1: Hey, everybody. How's it going today? Well, thanks. I'll wait for the response that's coming, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Just just hold on. The carrier pigeons are coming. Uh, thank you so much for being on this show. I've always been a big fan of your work, aka your beer, um, and just having conversations with you. Um, so, yeah,
1: always so. good to talk to you.
0: Yeah, yeah. You've been a guest on our show, The Geek 30 Happy Hour, back in the day, and uh, really appreciate you taking time to talk about fatherhood, something very near and dear to both of us. So why don't you take a second to introduce yourself to everybody?
1: Yeah, so uh, my name is Brandon. I was, was kind of born and raised in in the area that uh, that I'm in now, which is the Northern Virginia area. And um, I met my wife here, and we went off to college in Nebraska. Um, when we got back, we kind of entered the workforce, started doing that whole thing. And uh, somewhere along the way in my marketing career, uh, moving up through the the career ladder, we got the crazy idea to to start brewing. My wife bought me a homebrew kit. And, and, uh, was that like, like Christmas hey, morning
0: like you're, you're like oh man I get to make my own beer How did that yeah, it was,
1: it, yeah so it was for my birthday and it was something where like I'm not a guy that's like oh let me try this let me try this like let me go all in like the first thing I'm gonna buy is like all in so like I didn't start with a <laughs> beer I was like let me get an all-grain kit let me do everything heck so yeah it was a lot, it was a lot of fun and yeah obviously that, that snowballed into a, a career for for five and a half years
0: for me yeah, that's really great. And why don't we talk a little bit about your family? Do you want to introduce them?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, so obviously my, um, myself and my wife, uh, Kimberly, and then we've got uh, two sons. Our oldest just started uh, kindergarten this year. He's Connor. He's five. And our youngest son, uh, Liam, he is now, you know, when they're fresh, you always had to think, is it weeks? Is it months? How do I want to do it? He was born October 5th. So I think we're right around four months now.
0: Wow, man, so are you sleeping?
1: you know what this is the this is the joke that we always say, like Connor never slept. He was a terrible sleeper. He was good at naps and never slept for the night. This kid is like the kid that we never believed existed, so like we put him down I don't know probably an hour ago or so and uh, and I'm not
0: gonna see him again until four o'clock in the morning. Wow, no way, yeah, that's just at it's four just months old, it. yeah. Dude, that's beautiful. Oh my yeah, gosh.
1: And he 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 wakes up, he changes a diaper, chugs a bottle. See it, in, see it in an hour. So Yeah, he's just he, out then.
0: He, oh my god. That's great, man. Holy cow. So what what's what's the secret? Is it just he's a different kid?
1: Well, you know, we're always telling ourselves like, oh, you know, it's because it's because it's the second kid, like he's gotta he's just a more relaxed kid. But you know it's like we're just more relaxed parents, you know.
0: Yeah, no, I remember, that's true. Uh, yeah, you could see I could I, see that being a thing.
1: I remember with Connor, like when he was he was a, anytime he would move around or make a noise in his crib, we were going in there and checking on it. And now it's just like, uh, you know, let's just wait until he's really screaming. And that must mean he really needs us. So, I, you know, I don't know if that has made him more of a, a calm kid and maybe we coddled the first one too much or.
0: Who well, knows? to be fair, like I mean, your first kid, you don't know really what you're doing. You're just like the kid cries, I got to respond, right? And
1: yeah, right. Well, and of course, so so having this one be a sleeper, the first night that he slept more than like six or seven hours straight, we were like, well, yeah, he's dead. Let's go in and check on him because it's over.
0: <laughs> you know, one of the things that we got was the outlet. You guys use that? You know what the that outlet? is outlet, yeah. like a, like an owl. Oh,
1: oh, we I think we had that for the first one. Is that like the pad that you set under the?
0: It's, it's like a thing no. that you, well, you attach it to their foot. So you, uh, you wrap it around their oh, foot okay. and it basically monitors their heartbeat and it will alert you with like a loud chiming noise or actually, no, it plays, um, it plays a song, but like it's like real loud, it's jarring. And, right. uh, it basically tells you either it doesn't sense a heartbeat or it, the the kid is like gasping for air something something bad is happening and it gives you an opportunity to respond rather than waking up in a panic every two hours thinking crap is the kid still alive is the kid still alive is the kid still alive
1: so so that sounds really similar we had a product i remember hearing of that now we had a product with connor that was like a, a mat that he laid on that somehow detected it went under the sheet maybe or under the mattress yeah we weren't sleeping a lot back then i really don't remember but anyway you stuck it under the mattress and that somehow detected whether or not he was breathing and it's just like how do people do it for hundreds of years without all this fancy
0: technology? oh i know they they just they just were constantly stressed out that's what i'm that's i'm convinced that everybody was just constantly stressed out yeah they just accepted the fact you know
1: yeah or there's like "Eh, he'll live or not it's we'll see
0: we're, we're we'll, just, have we'll just make another and one and it'll be fine yeah because yeah. there's no such thing as birth control we just kind of keep on having kids anyway uh, right that's exactly a, that's a terrible morbid thing to say but <laughs> um it's kind of it's kind of true of the time to be honest um yeah but you know one thing that uh that we've talked a little bit about and, and that i I'd like to learn a little bit more about genuinely is around liam so you have uh we'll, we'll get into what it's like to to kind of go from career to now stay-at-home dad, which is sort of the transition that you went through. Why don't you give us kind of the lowdown of Liam's health situation?
1: Yeah. So, um, honestly, the best way to describe it is kind of kind of give you, if you don't mind, I'll go through kind of quickly the story of, yeah, of please. his birth, which is, which is how we found out. Um, so, when he was um, – so, he was born. Everything was fine for the first 12, 14 hours. Um, and then we kind of woke up or the doctor came by that next morning and all the dads out there, you know, like the doctor comes by and checks the baby and you know, every every shift change, just make sure everything's okay. And the doctor was just like, you know, is he's using like his whole abdomen, his chest, his stomach to breathe. It's really labored. That's, that's unusual. And we had gone to a brand new hospital. that's really close to the house. It doesn't have a, a NICU or anything, but we were like, yeah, you never, you need this. Right. Um, so, luckily, we're in a great area, as you know. Um, the hospitals here are excellent, so they had us on a video conference with the local NICU um, very quickly, and they had a doctor that was monitoring his situation. and He had a couple of episodes where he just stopped breathing, and they couldn't figure out if that was
0: because, oh my god
1: because of uh, an obstruction or because of um, a brain signal not being sent to to breathe. Um, kind of what are the two? What are the reasons it's not? And then decide for whatever reason his brain is deciding not to breathe. So let's let's send him over to and it's not constant. It's only, you know, three or four episodes and then they kind of stir him, wake him up, and and he's fine. So we go to the we had to do the the thing that you always fear, which is my wife is staying in hospital A and I'm going with my son and we're rushing to hospital B because that's where the, the NICU is.
0: Ugh. Oh my gosh. So, so like, you had to separate they had to separate at that point because your wife was still recovering?
1: Yes, and we had the option of they were telling us they were like, "You can go there, but nothing's gonna happen. You need to stay here. nurses will make sure you get some sleep, you can recover. your husband's got your son, so that's what we ended up doing um so when it was went that over to the what hosp- was
0: that like for you now going to that other hospital with your son leaving your wife? How did you feel about all that?
1: You know it's um I remember the moment that We had that we knew that decision was coming. I I suspect most of the guys out there do the exact same things we did. Like you, you go hospital shopping, right? And that's one of that's one of the things that you're thinking about, right? Like, wow, this hospital is really nice and it's a community hospital, but they don't have a NICU, they don't have a um, intensive care unit for kids, they don't have a a pediatric surgeons on staff. And is that something you're okay with? And and everyone's going to make that decision based on themselves and their insurance and whatever reason for our first kid we went to a great hospital that had everything and we never needed it for this one other uh, way around um and i just remember looking at each other and we were just like what? i mean we just kind of started crying i mean it's just like well yeah this is what's going to happen i'll uh call you later i oh, guess
0: god that's got to be so hard
1: yeah because it, it, it was just like a. Yeah, no, it wasn't. You had enough time that it wasn't like he's not. He was never in, in a situation where where he's crashing, if you
0: will. He's not okay,
1: crashing, you know. So as much as like we don't know why this keeps happening, and we're not going to send him home with you until we know when he stops breathing.
0: So, and when he would um, stop breathing, what would they do? Do you know?
1: Um, I don't know if this this is everyone's interpretation of hospitals or just mine, but. You, you always seem to get all of your information afterwards. Yeah. Um, so they would say they stimulated. stimulated. Um, so it wasn't like CPR, but it, it also wasn't a chest rub. It was a pretty good like uh, tap on the chest apparently is what they're doing. to really somewhere between like getting a little bit of movement going in his chest and waking him up like okay. a good in-between firm wake up tap, if you will. So it it's not sleep apnea. It is very much apnea. Um it's happening while he was while he was awake but they just couldn't figure it out ended up um so so yeah well i mean my my wife and i are sitting there um and we just kind of she was sitting on the bed and it was like okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna go now we just kind of held each other looked at each other cried a little bit and was like i'll talk to you later what i mean what else can you say right Yeah. yeah so yeah we went over and uh the worst part uh for me was Because it was a NICU transfer, they have to have a special transport team for that, including a NICU nurse, which has to be in the ambulance the whole time. And I guess because of whatever size ambulance they sent, there's no room for a parent.
0: Oh, God, really?
1: Yeah. So because because it's a NICU transfer, they sent him over in this big E.T. looking cage
0: You know, like it was the
1: size of a stretcher and it's got this big incubator box and everything else on it. So like, he's all hooked up to all that stuff with the transport team plus the NICU nurse. So with all of that, there's no room for me. So they're like, you're going to have to drive yourself. I'm like, oh, my
0: goodness. Oh, man, I would be a freaking wreck, man. How did you you hold up through all that?
1: (sighs) Um, You know, it was okay. It was um, honestly, for the next couple of days, it was really it really just felt like. I'm just, you, you're just going to go through the motions because that's what's next, you know? So like I didn't think about anything other than like next step is get to the hospital. And then, uh, I remember, man, I remember so much, there's no way we're making this under a fun, easy time limit for you. But I remember getting to the hospital, I remember getting to the hospital and I remember having, um, man, I I haven't talked to too many people about this. So I remember getting to to the, uh, where the hospital was, and the problem is, you know, the hospitals they have an ambulance entrance, and right. I'm not allowed there. So oh. I had to find a place to, I had to find a place to park. And Alex, I don't know if you remember, I drive a, a very large vehicle, right? Um, so of course I'm, I can't park in the parking garage. So I just, you know, drove up on the grass somewhere at the hospital and park. <laughs> oh
0: so my! I'd, I didn't even think about that.
1: Yeah, it's little stuff like that where it's like, oh yeah, I can't just park in your convenient parking garage here. Great
0: yeah Um, well and also like the fact that you can't just pull up where the ambulances pull up that's that's a really good point
1: yeah well because because now he goes to the NICU as opposed to the ICU which is different in this hospital and this hospital is under construction so like all the signs were were you know construction entrance signs ambulances this way emergency room this way construction ER like oh it's just so crazy so um so I get there and I remember um for the first couple of people I was able to, I'm of course, I'm just running the door on adrenaline. And for the first couple of p- people I found, I was kind of like, my son just got transferred here, he's in the NICU. I have no idea where that could be. And the I've, I was blessed along the way by so many people that helped us out so many ways. Um, and I remember this guy. And this lady was like, okay, what you're going to do is you're going to go through these doors. You're going to walk around here. And then I could see that the guy with her just looked at me and goes, sir, come with me. You won't be able to come this way again, but I can get you to your son. I oh, was like,
0: God bless Thank him.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And I, I don't even know, like, we went through a kitchen at one point. Like, I don't really know what happened. But all of a sudden, I'm on this I'm on this elevator and I get out and the, NICU's right in the uh, this NICU is right in front of me. He's like, okay, you're going to go talk to the nurse. And um I was great right up until this point. So I get there and it's, it's a fairly secure area, obviously um, with, with all the kids and infants around. Right. So when I, when I go to kind of try and figure out where the NICU is, I go up to the nurse and it was kind of like, Hey, I'm, uh, and this is, I just remember losing it. Like um, I'm looking, I'm looking for my son. I don't, I don't know where he is. And it was, it was just just trying to get that sentence out. was just the hardest thing that I've had to do. Hmm. Um, just cause it was just, I just felt so helpless. It was a summation of, of not really being able to help him and not knowing where he was and just kind of, uh, did he just kind of have so much.
0: Did, did they react any sort of way to kind of seeing you in that condition? And were they really receptive to that?
1: She was, she was great. She was like, okay, give me, she's like, give me some more details. And I was like, he was transferred. She was, so she was able to ask which hospital he came from. Okay. I know where he's at. Come with me. Um, and it was great. I, everyone in the NICU was excellent because they could tell right away that it was like, okay, your dad come in here, get your hands washed, do all that stuff. But like, look through the window. There's your son.
0: Yeah. Oh, God bless him.
1: So like, so we're going to start there. Yeah, and now and now you can wash your hands, and I'll do all this stuff. We'll get you scrubbed up. Now you can hold them, and now we're going to sit down, and we're all just going to have a talk. And they were, they was just so helpful. They they did great. They were clearly used to dealing with with uh, people in that position.
0: What sort of things did they do to kind of help calm you down?
1: Um, I mean, the first thing they did, luckily, was um, I I know it, throughout the whole process, one of the things that we find with hospitals and what we're finding with what we're doing now is as we're stepping up with intensity, obviously we're getting better and better care. Um, So one of the things that was really nice about the NICU is they keep a doctor there all the time. And I I had never gone to a NICU, so I don't know what I was expecting. It wasn't very large. Um, The room where all the babies were, plus the offices, plus I mean, it it wasn't more than maybe 15 or seventeen hundred square feet. I mean, it wasn't very large at all. But um, there was a doctor there always, along with nurses and a couple of Plintex uh, technicians, not to be putting anybody down. It was just nice to have, have the doctor right there saying, OK, here's what we've got. And it was the same doctor that we had um, video conferenced with from the previous hospital.
0: Oh, cool. So, OK, that's great. So,
1: yeah. So that really helped us connect the dots of like, hey, I'm so-and-so. we talked on the phone. Now we're here.
0: And then what happened so, yeah. when they when you actually sat with them? Uh, what's what sort of conversation was that?
1: Well, so I, uh, it, we we started developing a whole lot of I don't knows. Um, so that was a really quick time for us. We got there, we got to the um, we got to the ER or we got to the NICU, and the doctor said, "Okay, so we've got these apneic episodes. They're not frequent." And I say I say episodes. I mean, we're talking four. I mean, we're not yeah. talking a lot we're talking four or five instances where he has just not breathed or chosen not to breathe without stimulation My but God. of course i don't want that to happen at huh? so they're so they said that's fine this happens with kids sometimes our policy is we keep them five days after the last episode we keep them here in the NICU. okay great and um the whole time we're getting a, you know what this just sometimes this happens with kids he was early he wasn't really early i think he was like 10 days early you know um so everyone just kept telling us like oh this happens it happens it happens it's like okay great and then um the other thing that they noticed shortly after he was born was he also had a murmur we had a car- uh, there was a, a pediatric cardiologist that just makes his rounds in the in the nicu so he took a list and he says yeah he's got a mi- minor heart murmur um mean you know, there's some liquid moving around um but um, isn't that pretty, pretty, pretty common normal.
0: though yeah i was about to say it's, that's pretty common
1: it's very common It normally goes up Yeah. Yeah. Normally heals up in a couple of days. Um, like pretty quick. Okay. Also no big deal. Sounds great. And then, um, while we were there, they still hadn't had any, any other symptoms. So we're sitting here going, okay, we are in checkbox mode. It is time to check the boxes and go home. We're just going to go five days without a breathing episode. And we're going to go a couple of days without, uh, you know, within this murmur is going to go away and then we're done. Like we are all set. Um, so they have the um, ultrasound tech coming by to look at one of the baby's brains. Um, so while they were there, it was like, "Well, let's go ahead and throw one on um, for Liam too." So they went ahead and did that, and we met with the um, pediatric neurologist who was on call. Um, he kind of we kind of looked at the pictures, and he was like, "This looks like a, a little bit of a bleed down near the base, uh, the bottom of the brain." It's not incredibly common, but it's also not in a very dangerous area. So you can see on the ultrasound, there's some areas where there's some stuff. Um, It's an ultrasound and it's a brain, so it's not the best detail. Um, But they're able to kind of see, like, there's some stuff here. It's probably a bleed, but I'm going to suggest you follow up with neurology um, after you're discharged. This is not an emergency. This is just follow.
0: Okay. I was about to ask if this was some kind of emergency situation, but it doesn't sound like there was a, any cause for no, concern. The,
1: the, the doctor was the doctor was great. He was like, "Okay, listen, if we were if we were if we were up here, we'd be going downstairs right now. If we were down here, we'd be going to this guy, but with the bleed way down here, there's just nothing here that is going to cause a problem." Okay. So we said, "Okay." Okay, great. And um, so um, so we go 5 more days at the NICU, no problems. They do one more ultrasound of his brain before he leaves just to see had that ble- bleeding gone down or changed at all, and there was no change. So, okay, follow up in neurology. We just wanted to make sure nothing was growing or whatever. So, so we finally got to go home after a week. Wow. And now Kim, now, now Kim was able to come, come over to the hospital, um, after day two. But, oh man, a whole set of problems that, that you don't think that you have to deal with is my, my parents were in town and they were uh, able to help us out with our oldest son. Getting him on and off the bus for kindergarten. Which yeah. Is just starting. Wow. Um except like like you guys know as parents, like your kids, like they know you can't just ignore them. So like we couldn't just not see our son for a
0: week yeah. either.
1: How did so you juggle I, that?
0: Like like knowing that that you're that the parents are there, that's that is fantastic. Were they already there to come see liam and then all this just happened to fall into place anyway
1: yeah so my my mom retired in june so um she's been really visiting a lot they lived down in florida but they've been visiting a lot um so so she knew she was going to kind of be here and then uh, my dad had already kind of prearranged uh, a trip he works in the airline industry flies a lot
0: makes it easy oh wow okay that's so, convenient.
1: yeah so uh so they were already, they already planned on being up here so they were here to help out with with him but um, our original plan was like, okay, yeah, let's just get a hotel right next to this hospital that our son's at, right? That's a no-brainer. But you also can't leave your, your son at home. So to yeah. your question, how do you how do you juggle that? Um, for the first couple of days, I slept in a truck. Um, and Kim took care of Connor for the first probably day or two. Well, well the first day, Kim was at still recovering um so the first day or two i was just in my truck there at the hospital sleeping and then uh oh my gosh after that yeah after after that we uh we started coming home at night so that we could you know so my mom would get connor off the bus we'd come home do dinner and then one of us would go back out to the hospital because it complicates it some more you know you've got a newborn that hopefully you're trying to breastfeed right so how do you, you know, do you pump at home? Do you feed there? Do you pump and go back and forth? And then I still want to go and see him, but it doesn't make sense because I can't feed him. But then we're both ignoring our oldest son. We did a lot of trips back and forth. Is what we ended up doing. That's the short. That's the short answer. It's about um, an hour, probably drive.
0: I was about yeah. to ask how long it took. Yeah, and that's not that's not pleasant in this Northern Virginia area. Um, no, where so traffic's it, terrible. So it,
1: yeah, so I mean, it's just kind of like. Yeah, get in the car, and I'll go this time, or you'll go, or no, we'll both stay home and sleep. Luckily, the NICU has some really interesting policies. Um, Like, they kick everybody out for rounds, which is twice a day, I think, because they're just going to go through with the doctor and the nurses for change of shift and talk about all the patients. So you can't be around. Gotcha. So that was, I think it was at, like, i don't know six or eight or something in the morning time was relative after newborns you're aware yeah
0: um, you just you, you so, lose all track of time to be honest mm-hmm. when it's relative the, the, it's, tw- it's you lose all track. The 24
1: of it. hour clock looks <laughs> really appealing <laughs> um so yeah so uh luckily they had some times where they were definitely kicking us out
0: so it's like we're gonna
1: kick you out for rounds um And, you know, you kind of have to be here for this and we're kicking you out for that. So that kind of forced us to be like, well, it was no sense in us rushing to get there before 6.15 if we're getting kicked out at 6.30. So that kind of helped us like in the morning. But, yeah, I mean, you have that guilt of like, yeah, I could stay home and sleep in um, and not go see my son to feed him at 4 a.m. You know, they can feed him with a bottle that's there. They don't need me. Um, But am I, I don't know, am I sloughing off my parenting duties when I do that?
0: Yeah, what did did you have any guilt like that? Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, of course. And and, you know, what do you do? I mean, I don't know. You one day you decide you're going to sleep, and you have a bunch of guilt about it. So then you spend the next day over there all day, and then and then you don't get any sleep. So you rinse and repeat for a couple of
0: days. Because the rationality in your brain looking at it afterwards, and you mentioned it earlier. There's no point in me being there if I can't feed him because I'm not the one breastfeeding him. But yeah, and, and you know, rationally. Uh, I could be getting sleep so that I can take care of my other son who needs attention. Yes. But in the thick of it, I can't imagine that that is that clear. That decision is that Ex- clear.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Because it's one of those where, um, I was a big fan of Dr. House and they always made somebody made a reference on that show one time where they talked about waiting rooms in proximity to the person that you're, you're caring about or that you're there for. And that uh, it doesn't really matter. Like, even though you can't, it, there were times where I could hold him and there were times that, that I that I couldn't uh, just because of whatever was happening. But it, it, for whatever reason, it just didn't seem the same. Even if I could be in the waiting room, knowing that I'm just down the hall, not seeing him, it felt like I was still there for him in a way that being at home, a phone call away wasn't.
0: Being An hour away. Yeah. Rather than walking through a set of doors, I totally get it. I totally get it. So, uh, so yeah. Yeah. When you brought him home, you know, I guess you didn't uh, up and leave the brewery right away. I mean, I'm sure did you, or, or is that, was that the plan for you to have Liam and then you no longer work?
1: Well, so we, this is something that we went back and forth on. So, we, what I'll say is we had made the decision that we were comfortable, um, with with me not working um, at the brewery or or whatever else, I definitely didn't want to go and start working at another brewery. But um, I, I definitely had kind of started feeling, uh, started trying to think about what was going to be the next step um, at at the brewery I was at and what we wanted to do and, and uh, kind of big big picture stuff of how I wanted to advance my career and what was going to be the next step. Um, So we had kind of started thinking maybe I was going to take a break or, or did we want to start our own brewery or what was our, who knows what, right. But the idea had crossed our minds that, yeah, I don't financially, we can make it work if I'm not, if I'm not working, if I wanted to take some time off or whatever. Sure. So we had made that decision. And then, um, shortly after, after all the NICU stuff had happened with Liam, um, we thought we were done. We, when we left the NICU, we were supposed to be in the clear, um, like the, whatever was going on in his brain was who knows what, but it should be fine. And then, um, the murmur should go away and we hadn't had any more symptoms of the apnea. So we, we thought, um, that was it. I mean, like I said, we were literally, like I, I say checking boxes, because I think that's what Kim and I would, would call it. Okay. Yeah. We're just going to go see the cardiologist. He said, say, if that's fine. And then the neurologist is going to say, that's fine. And then we're done, back to having a normal kid. Sure. So we went to the cardiologist was first, I guess. So we, we, we go to this cardiologist. And uh, sorry not to dodge your question about my career. I didn't go back to know. work at all while I was in the NICU yeah. or before we had checked with any of the other doctors. So I just kind of told my boss, like, I have no idea when I'm going to come back. But my, I know my son's in the NICU, and I, there's no way I can function at work. So um, so anyway, so we um, we got to the point where we got to the cardiologist, and um, he was going to take a look at the murmur and said, "Yeah, I hear it. I, it should go away, but now that we're on day ten or twelve, it normally goes away by now. So let's go ahead hmm. and take a and take a look." So we did an echo, and um, I think. I think once everybody like once you go through a couple ultrasounds and echoes and whatever um imaging you kind of know how it goes like you know the person there can't say anything but like when they start clicking and measuring and doing stuff you're like okay you i i don't remember what a heart looks like but i don't remember those yeah and- pictures that i remember and like and i see her like measuring them and figuring out so it turns out um, that he had these things called rhabdomyomas and these are small um, tissues or balls of muscle tissue that have just kind of nested in his heart and as scary as that sounds they normally don't do anything at all they normally just sit there until the body eventually just reabsorbs them and they go away now he has he has one that's in a little bit of an awkward spot. It's still there. It's it's kind of close to his aorta. Um, and these normally shrink and go away. Um, and they're worth keeping an eye on. And the, the doctor kind of sat us down after all this was over, or after the to digest the the information. It was kind of said, So, yeah, these rhabdomyomas are here, they're gonna go away. That's not an issue. However, whenever we see a newborn with rhabdomyoma It generally means you have a disease, um, you have a um, condition called TSC, tuberous sclerosis. And he said, is this is this the first time you're hearing this? Or, and we were kind of like, uh, yeah, you're the first person that told us that. Said, okay, so you're going to want to do some research on it. I, we don't have enough data to conf- like, I can't tell you right now that you have this disease, but generally when I see this, from a cardiology standpoint, it, it's it means this disease. Now, what I want you to be aware of is that it's generally, while it affects uh, the heart and you'll have these rhabdomyomas, you're pretty much done from a cardiological standpoint. This is mostly a neurological disease, so it's time to to go see a neurologist. Ah, okay. Yeah, well, well, funny thing, we actually did see a neurologist because they had noticed this thing on an ultrasound because of blah 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 blah, and and at this point he was like, okay, so. Yeah, if there was something in his brain, that's the other thing that we use to diagnostically um, diagnose this disease.
0: And that's so, and what you're talking about was that bleeding happening at the base of the brain.
1: Yeah, what what we now know was not bleeding. What we what we turns out was uh, so so we finish up with the with the cardiologist. He says, "Go to a neurologist." We already have an appointment because of this other thing. Sure. So, the literally three days later is our neurology appointment. We get there. Um, and how and is it, he doing the, through all this?
0: Like, like these past three days, is it is everything normal?
1: It, he's great. He's eating. You know, we're going through all the stuff you struggle with. You know, like you know we're we're dealing with we're dealing with pumping and feeding and normal you know, babies diapers and yeah, yeah, it's all the. It's all the normal stuff. There is absolutely nothing wrong with him. He's, Interesting. he's great. So um, so we go to this uh, neurologist, and it's one of those where you can just – sometimes you just know when you're dealing with somebody who really knows their craft. You know, I relate it to, to brewing because that's something that I really know and have really honed my craft on. And When I say that, like I can walk into a brewery, and I understand how that brewery works. It's a craft that I understand. And, and that's how I really felt when we sat down with the urologist, and here's why. So he says, hi. So we're here checking up on uh, an ultrasound that somebody took, so let's go ahead and take a look. And he looks at this thing for about a second before saying, I can see how someone might be confused into thinking that that's a bleed.
0: Oh, just, no. Just
1: the, way, just the way he said it, it's like, oh. Uh, you sound cocky and you sound like you know exactly what you're talking about, but I will say it is is—it is all good news from here because he says, so what this looks like is this looks like um, a cortical tuber, which, which means you probably have a disease called uh, tuberous sclerosis. We said, yeah, our, our cardiologist just mentioned that, so we kind of did a little bit of reading on it. Um, I'll explain it some more for you, Alex, and the listeners in a minute, but luckily um, – the doctor said, well, so here at this facility, we're actually the outpatient wing of of our children's hospital. So we're just outside of D.C., Alex, and the the um, children's has an outpatient facility in Fairfax, which is really convenient for us. So that's where we were able to go and meet with this neurologist. Right. So we're talking with him, and it says, well, actually, the Children's National has a tuberous sclerosis clinic that rotates through their hospital um, once a month, where they rotate through a whole bunch of doctors that specialize in this disease. The director of that clinic is actually here today. If you'd like, we can—I can have him come in here, and he can tell you a little bit more about the disease. Oh wow! <laughs> so we're like, okay, yeah, the leading person in this disease in this area happens to be two doors down. Yeah, let's have a
0: conversation. <laughs> yeah, I would think you'd jump right over the, all, all over that, right?
1: Yeah, so, so basically he sat us down and, and kind of told us about the disease, which was um, the uh, tuberous sclerosis is, uh, means that Liam has a genetic modification on his TSC1 or TSC2 gene. Now, for people like you and me, those genes are in charge of producing proteins that stop soft cells from growing. So once things are done growing, they stop. And this protein is what regulates that from stopping. Gotcha. Liam's, Liam's body doesn't properly produce this protein um, because huh. of this because of this genetic uh, condition. This was something we had to learn because genetic doesn't always mean hereditary, which was something new to us because it's a gene issue, but it's not a hereditary gene issue. Oh, More things for wow. us to learn. Right, because it's a problem with his genes, but it doesn't mean – it's just a random mutation.
0: Yeah, that's like – yeah, it seems contradictory almost, like yeah. when, the way you say it.
1: Right. It's like when you say it, it's like, well, no, of course it has to be. Yeah. Well, no, I guess it doesn't.
0: Yeah, it's like that thing is blue, but it's not blue.
1: <laughs> so so uh, so from there, we um, uh, – what will happen is – in infants, um, w- the first thing we normally see are rhabdomyomas in the heart, um, and uh, they're normally not benign. N- nothing normally happens out of those, okay. so that's good news. Um, now, what normally happens is this disease causes mechanical problems. So as opposed to a cancer, which produces cells that produce cells that take over cells and kill cells, this isn't very aggressive in that it doesn't take over existing healthy cells. But what it does do is it causes problems from just things being in the way. So it grows these tubers um, in his in his brain. They're called tubers. You're not that, saying tumors,
0: right? Like, I not, am not.
1: I tr- yeah, I try to enunciate it. So tubers, and it's called that because that's what – I mean, we're talking potatoes. That's what I'm okay. looking like, right? that Because they have to grow in the folds of a brain. Gotcha. So you know, kind of worm-like growths, but in a, in a tubular fashion. So they, the these tubes will grow, and what will happen is they will con- cause mechanical problems in his brain. You know, if if you block off enough roads to a certain area, then there's no way any any blood flow can get to that area. Right, right, right. Um, so as we learn about TSC, we know that about ninety percent of all of the um, kids that have TSC will develop epilepsy. Um, they will also likely develop other developmental disorders, um, slow uh, ADHD, all kinds of stuff. I mean, basically, it's just there's stuff growing in your brain. So anything that can go wrong is a, is a possibility. But, but epilepsy being the number one.
0: That's crazy. So this is obviously a great reason for you to not <laughs> work and and certainly be yeah. there to help Liam. Uh, so let's dive into that sort of part of your life where you had this career, um, and yeah. you made really damn good beer. I was a big fan of your work, um, and you. now you are a stay-at-home dad. What was that yeah. choice like?
1: You know, it was it was it was really easy, and here's why. Because when we learned more about the seizures, one of the things that we learned is. That's the damn it. His, his, uh, there's nothing that's going to affect his life. He will live a normal age, likely, um, with this disease. But we're everything that we're worried about is a quality of life issue. And the number one driver of quality of life in TSC patients is how many seizures are they having while their brain is still developing?
0: Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, that's a really good point.
1: That's it. That's the only thing that we're worried about. So, our concern is, obviously, Kimberly and I are going to get really read up on what seizures look like. We're watching YouTube videos all the time, and we're trying to spot them and you know, taking videos and watching other moms and parents with kids that have the same disease take videos of their kids having seizures so that we can learn. But there's no way I can expect any hired caregiver to, to have that level of monitoring ability over Liam.
0: Yeah, unless so, it costs a freaking arm and a leg, right? It so, so for expensive. us, it's
1: just a. So for us, it was just a matter of well, if if we give them to a caregiver and he's having, you know, we're looking at moms that are having their kids are having sixty five seizures a day.
0: Oh my gosh! You know? So
1: so it's like, well, what if what if I'm not there and I'm not seeing it, and then we're completely messing up medication and all these things because. We don't have a good idea of what's going on. Is that
0: how you manage that? Is is it just like anybody else with epilepsy where you're just managing it with medication?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, so so the way it works is um, kind of a piggyback on on where we left off. Everyone's going to think we planned this out. So we'll just go to our next note, right? Yeah. So we're, um, luckily, the director of the clinic told us literally in the same conversation is, okay, now how old is he? Oh, great. Because he's under, I'm trying to remember what it was at the time, six weeks old, I think, because he's under six weeks old, there's a a study out right now um, because current course of treatment for TSC is sit and wait for seizures, and once seizures happen, give anticonvulsants. There's a specific one that they give that's been showing a lot of promise recently, but that is the course of treatment, the sit and wait, which kind of stinks, but that's where we're at. There is a trial happening right now that's actually an epilepsy trial called the Prevent study. And the idea is, if we were to know that someone was going to have a seizure or seizures, if they were going to be epileptic at a young age, what would happen if we were to monitor their brain activity? And then as soon as we noticed a change in their brain activity, we give them an anticonvulsant before they have a seizure.
0: Hmm yeah I would think so, that's preventative right rather than reactionary
1: so that is the trial that we're currently enrolled in
0: gosh that's cool. I'm so glad to hear that you had that opportunity and that's all because it's, that it's, guy was there that's amazing it
1: is and I not to not to bring it down it is cool, but don't forget that there's that big possibility that we're gonna get placebos too
0: oh God yeah well uh screw them if that's the case. Damn it. Yeah, <laughs> That is such yeah. a, that's such a bummer. I didn't even consider that. So,
1: so, so luckily, so that was my big concern going into this whole thing is it's like, well, what, I mean, is this a chance that we're going to be in placebo? And luckily the doctor was really helpful. With He said, yeah, there's a chance you're going to be in the placebo. Luckily, I guess, because the, because this it's an NIH funded study and because they're all monitored so closely, um, the, our doctor's point was, Even if you go and participate in this trial, which, which by the way is in Philadelphia, it's not local. Oh. Um, If you go and participate in this trial, um, they will monitor you better than your insurance company is going to pay us to monitor. Oh, really? Your insurance company covers this, this, and this. You know, your annual monitoring, and then this and this and this, whatever. You know, MRIs, things like that, whatever things come up. Because they're doing experimentals, they basically need to do full body scans of Liam to make sure that there's no other problems being caused or that they can have a medical record if something goes wrong of, of, of some combination of things. But for whatever reason, or for all those reasons, they have to have very detailed records. So they are taking, uh, for example, they're taking an EEG of his brain every four weeks. That is not, we would get an annual EEG with... Uh, our insurance going through a regular program.
0: Wow. Well, that's so,
1: yeah. So we could pay for that out of pocket. He says, but the, the the doctor said, luckily, even if you're in a placebo, you're more likely to catch the first seizure in the study. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: And once they have a seizure, it's standard medical care. Like everyone gets the same medication. They're not going to placebo somebody once they're having seizures. Okay. You get, you, you get the good stuff. And, and so there's kind of like well there's no downside there's just an upside and less of an upside so
0: well yeah and and here you are now you are yes. at uh, a situation in your life where you are a stay-at-home dad you are taking care of the boys what sort of lifestyle change was that for you what are how, how are you experiencing this is it good bad it's
1: been it's been all the above you know because it's everything from like um even even brewing, which isn't is in a career that pays very well, but it, just imagine going from the oh you have that extra expense of having another child and the expense of losing a job all at once. You know, it just seems like all the conversations are so financial because right. that's that's the nature of the beast now. You know, but as a stay-at-home dad, you you for me at least guilt is something that's that's so hard to in, to get over.
0: Guilt in what way is it is it not being the provider or not being there for your kids or all the above so so
1: luckily my wife has been very uh excellent at her career so she has climbed the the ladder very quickly which forced me to get over being the provider in our family years ago um because of her success which was great. awesome but that's what allowed me to get into brewing to begin with so that has been awesome but and i've gone from this position of at least i i make some money i contribute to the family to now where like ah you know what i feel like going and i'm gonna grab lunch i'm gonna go out and grab lunch and now it's like well now not on not only am i not making money now i'm spending money.
0: right yeah
1: now am i am i a double whammy you know burden to this household now when i when i do that and so, how, how does your wife feel about
0: like have you talked to her about that Yes. Yeah. This is something that's, that, that
1: we talk about. It's something that my wife and I are very open about is, you know, we, we still go to, uh, we still check in with our, our marriage counselor, um, regularly and anyone out there who, who doesn't think they should or or does think they should, should go find a marriage counselor, talk to somebody. That's my free plug for that. I love it. But, um, yeah, that's something that we, we regularly talk about is kind of how we're feeling. We check in with each other. And that's something I've expressed is, Hey, I really feel some guilt about this. And of course, she's very supportive and saying like, you know, things happen. You want to go out to lunch? Like, of course we're going to save money and and we're going to make those decisions, but you can't carry that as guilt, you know?
0: Yeah. Wow. Man, that what a supportive uh, partner in life. Oh yes. Oh, she's amazing. That is so great. So, you know, here you are, you are, uh, you experienced quite a bit of change in the past four months. You've had some trauma, uh, with dealing with your son's, um, Now diagnosed condition, Uh, you have now moved away from working, where you are now a stay-at-home dad. Uh, To any other dads out there who might be listening, or parents, people, anybody who are listening who may be experiencing something similar, what sort of words of wisdom would you give them?
1: Um, man, that's a tough one. You know the the thing for us is I I remember um, at least with when our first kid, with Connor and with Liam, now. I remember thinking, um, the parents that, that have the really hard stuff that they have to go through the kids. I mean, like the, the kids that you're seeing on commercials and all that. And I, and I always remember like, what is that like as a parent? And I, I don't, I don't think we're anything close to that now, but it's just kind of one of those like, yeah, now we have a rare disease and we're kind of in that group of, of what do you do? And, um, and even now my wife and I are talking about it. It's like, for us, it's just like, okay, the next step is what, yeah. It's just kind of focusing on the next step. Like it, we haven't even started to think about, like, I, I don't, I don't know what his, I don't know what his life's going to be like when he's a teenager or, or, you know, we sit, we, we might say things now, like, uh, yeah, you know, I can't wait to, to, to go fishing or do whatever. And, and we don't know what kind of quality of life or abilities he's going to have for that. But, um, just kind of focusing on the next step and, and where we are now, he's, He's a perfect little kid right now, and he has a huge personality, and we have a lot of fun, and he's got a bunch of smiles, and that's what matters, and and that's what we're focused on, and whatever happens from here, we'll we'll take that as it comes.
0: Well, good man, yeah, live in the present, enjoy your time as a new uh, father again.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, thank you.
0: Yeah, you're you're going through it all over again, and uh, you actually are are working on another project. Uh, that we were talking a little bit about earlier do you want to take a second to share with people what you're planning on starting
1: yeah so we're starting to get spun up another project so um we're working on uh, dad to earth which is going to be um instagram and youtube basically i want to kind of chronicle some of the vlogs and some of the more dad specific stuff um that's that guys uh, tackle out in the world. Uh, for example, I was just out of Costco the other day with both kids because we've been getting a lot of snow, and they had a snow day. And I just remember this mom, uh, this lady, seeing me with both kids at Costco loading up, and she was like, "Wow, ah, you're just super dad. And as good as that feels, you also have that guilt of, like, you don't say that to every mom that's shopping with two
0: kids. Right? right? Yeah.
1: So like, so, like, as much as I want to take, like, yeah, I am. It's like, ah, but... Should it be that way? It's crazy
0: that so, that's like society's expectation. Like when they see women with a like two or three kids, they're like, oh, she's just doing her thing. Like that's that's her momming." Right. You know, or or even or
1: even or even more. Like you see you see a mom with two or three kids. How many times are people judging her or or giving her a hard time?
0: Oh yeah. Whereas My if, aunt it,
1: if it's a, has, if it's a dad with two or three kids running around the store, you're just like, "Ah, what an involved dad."
0: Yeah. My aunt has seven kids, uh, well, this is my <sighs> aunt and uncle, ranging from, you know, early 20s down to three or, uh, yeah, three or four years old now. And, uh, yeah, she's, you know, people I'm sure don't give her, don't look at her and give her the credit that she's due. She's super mom. Like, it, it really is amazing to watch her be a mom to all those kids and raise all these kids, you know, along with my uncle, certainly. But yeah, that is and you know, she's the one that stays at home. Right. So, uh, my uncle right. works and credit due Yeah. So that's right. So that's, so that's
1: one of the things that I actually want to be talking about in the channel too, is, is, um, especially now, like I, so I call myself dad to earth and so on Instagram is dad to earth, YouTube dad to earth. And, um, I, I identify as a dad and anyone else out there who identifies as a dad, but, um, I don't, as much as I want to talk about traditional gender roles and, and kind of how that fits to what I do as a stay at home dad, that's also not something I'm trying not. I don't want to alienate my channel as a, as a real big, um, I don't want my message to be a manly message. It's not for men to go out and be macho and, and be the, the stereotype dad
0: mm-hmm.
1: involved dad, I guess. Um, it's okay to kind of be, a. A regular, a regular guy who's also a dad.
0: Yeah, like a genuine but, human being that doesn't. Yeah, I totally agree. Yes. So as much something. as I love, like,
1: uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the products, like tactical baby gear, you know, where they've got like all the camo and the cool diaper bags. As much as I love all that stuff, it's just like, That's, yeah, but I'm also just a regular dad. Yeah, it's like, like I don't
0: need a, it to be camo because I'm a guy. Like, exactly.
1: Like I, it can just be like brown. That's yeah. Fine. Is it functional?
0: All right, cool. Like <laughs> I just need something to. Put my kids' stuff in. That's great. All right, cool.
1: So, so, so talking about stuff like that is what we're what uh, what I hope to be doing a little bit of.
0: I love it. So, so again, can you give the plugs for where people can find that?
1: Yeah. So um, at Dad to Earth, T O D A D T O Earth, um, on Instagram and uh,
0: YouTube. Awesome. And Very good. We'll
1: see if I we'll see if we grow out from there, but trying to i'm still avoiding facebook as much as i can we'll see how it goes
0: cool man well uh let me know uh when it really starts going live and as you're producing content would love to plug it again here on this show to all the listeners out there please uh go check that out and our guest today has been brandon flan again brandon thank you so much for joining and sharing this really inspiring story
1: Thank you very much, Alex. Thanks for having me on.
0: Of course. And for everybody listening at home, you can listen to other stories of fatherhood by visiting thedadchronicle.com. And again, if you'd like to support this show, please become a patron. When you go to thedadchronicle.com, click the Become a Patron button at the very top, and you will be taken to a spot where you can donate as much money as you want, at least a dollar. um, And you can support the operational cost of the show. It goes a long way. And uh, Brandon, you want to say goodbye to the nice folks at home? Yes.
1: Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great night.
0: All right. Take care, everybody.
1: If you like this show, check out more great content at incastmedianetwork.com.